Would you turn your, your Bibles over to 1 Samuel chapter 13? I want to ask you a question. As you're getting out, if you're using one of our pew Bibles, you're going to find our text today starting on page 235, and we'll be mulling around in that area because we're going to be looking at several chapters together. But I want to ask you a question. How many of you today want to know how to be blessed by God? All right, the rest of you didn't raise your hands. You guys can all leave because you don't care about this, all right? All right, so I can't imagine any of us would not want to know how to be blessed by God, right? Well, one of the great things about history is that if we learn from it, we don't necessarily have to repeat it. So today we're going to have a chance to learn from King Saul what he did wrong in blowing the blessing of God. And from him and from Samuel, we can learn some things about what we can do to release the blessing of God in our lives. Saul was chosen by God to be the very first king of Israel. Samuel's going to communicate in our text today that God had every intent of this. Uh, he had taken Saul from the lowest tribe, the tribe of Benjamin, one that was still kind of an outcast because of some of their past behavior. He had taken Saul from the tribe of Benjamin and raised him up to be the king, and he had every intent of establishing a throne through Saul that would last for generations. God was ready to bless Saul. Saul screwed it up. He found a way to impede the blessing of God. And we can learn from his mistakes so we don't do the same thing. And then as Samuel gives him some counsel at the end, we can find some great truths for ourselves on how to unleash or release the blessing of God in our lives. So we've got, we, we have a lot of territory to cover, and I can't read all these passages and, it, for you because it's three full chapters, you know. And, um, and, you know, I, I get paid for my words, not for the words I read out of this. So you have to read that on your own. But I'll read some portions of it to you. So. But, and I'm going to use a, a little section of chapter 14 at the beginning, this victory of Jonathan and his armor bearer over the Philistine garrison. We're going to come back to that in January and return to this idea of the journey to the throne from 1 Samuel. But we're going to look at chapters 13, 14, and 15, the pieces of flow of it. Three, three separate scenes. One. It's Samuel in the pressure, Saul in the pressure cooker with the Philistines amassing a massive army inside of his nation. That's chapter 13. Chapter 14 is the scene of Saul mopping up the victory that God has created through the activity of Jonathan and his armor bearer. Chapter 15 is how Saul responds to God's will, if you will, God's intention to bring judgment on the Amalekites as well as victory for the Israelites over the Amalekites and through chapter 15. And, and, and in each of these episodes, we're going to see ways in which Saul managed to block the blessing of God in his life. And hopefully, we can learn from his bad decisions so we can figure out how to make good decisions, right, as we go forward. So, I, you know, on your ser sermon outlines, I I've given you particular verses that I want to read as we go through this, and so you'll have that record as we go back through. Um, so in, in chapter 13, just kind of set the context again, chapter 12, there had been a great victory over the Amalekites at, at, through, through, um, at Jabesh Gilead. The people were now all excited to have Saul as their king, and they had this huge coronation, and he's, he's pronouncing, they're all, they're all loving on him, right? And so they kind of settle back into normalcy. Saul sends a lot of the guys home, and he keeps 2,000 guys. And Jonathan, his son, takes another 1,000 guys, and they set up two different garrisons or forts inside of the, 
inside of Israelites, inside of Israel. In the midst of that, there's a Philistine outpost. Okay? And, I mean, the Philistines now are the enemy, and they have an outpost right smack dab in the middle of the promised land. Let's imagine imagine that Massachusetts was at war with Connecticut, right? You know, and so, and, and, and the Connecticut's ones, you know, they come up and they establish a fort, you know, and it's in, you know, it's in Shrewsbury, you know, whatever. It's just right smack dab in the middle of our territory blocking where we can go and all that kind of stuff. And, and you know, and, and they're all agitated about that. And so S- Jonathan takes his thousand guys and he, and, he, and he attacks this fort. He has some success. But it kind of acts like kind of like just like hitting like the beehive, right? And it gets the Philistines all excited. So they, they summon a call and, and they respond to this one little twenty-two shot, you know, just a little tiny bullet shot at them. They, they come with the full artillery. I mean, they bring up the, you know, the aircraft carrier out there, and they're just dumping it. They come, show up with 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and so many foot soldiers, you can't even account, account to them. They, massive group, okay? So they're in the midst of all of that, right? So let's pick up our text then in chapter 13, verse 8. Now let's we'll start with verse 6, because I like to read in there. So, so the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, because the troops were in a difficult situation. Again, Philistines have shown up. They're, they're, they're just rip-roaring mad. You know, the, the, there's thousands and thousands that are highly outnumbered the Israelites. And the Israelites are looking at it, and the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble because of the troops. And they hid in caves, thickets, among rocks, and in holes and cisterns. And some of the Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and the Gilead. That means... They're in the middle of the nation, and they say, you know what, I think, I think I'm going to go east. And they cross the Jordan River. It's time for a vacation. I'm changing zip codes, you know. I'm changing nations. Actually, as we read through the text, you're going to see that a lot of the Israelites were actually defecting to the Philistines. You know, they, they, they didn't have really good weapons, so they just walk into the Philistines' camp and said, you know what, we'd rather be on your side. Not a pretty picture. So Saul, however, was at Gilgal, and all his troops were gripped with fear. He had been instructed by Samuel in chapter 10 to go to Gilgal. And from there, Samuel would come and they would offer up the offerings. And with that, they would find out what God wanted them to do in response to this. And he waited seven days, which is what Samuel expected them to do for the appointed time that Samuel was set. But Samuel didn't come to Gilgal and the troops were deserting him. Every morning he wakes, wakes up, there's fewer guys in the camp. So Saul said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offering. Then he offered the burnt offering. What we really get there is that the seventh morning arrived. They woke up. Samuel wasn't there, so they, you know, and the day kind of burns on, and so he decides just to offer up the burnt offering on his own. But there were actually two different offerings in the course of a day, the morning and the afternoon. And by the, the afternoon time, Samuel showed up. That, that's what pick, finishes up here in verse 10. Just as he finished offering the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. Saul rushes out to greet him, and Samuel says, what have you done? I mean, Samuel, and Saul here is expecting this wonderful arrival. He's so excited to see Samuel, and Samuel says, what in the world have you done? Well, Saul answers, said, well, when I saw that the troops were deserting me, and you didn't come within the appointed days, in other words, you weren't here this morning, and the Philistines were gathering at mismatch, and there's a lot of them if you haven't looked, I thought, 
the Philistines will now descend on me in Gilgal. In other words, they're going to start the battle without you. And I haven't even sought the Lord's favor yet. So I forced myself to offer the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you've acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandment which the Lord your God gave you. It was at this time that the Lord would have blessed you by permanently establishing your reign over Israel. But now your reign will not endure. The Lord has found a man loyal to him. The Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people because you have not done what the Lord commanded. Then Samuel went from Gilgal to Gibeah in Benjamin. And Saul registered the troops who were with him, about 600 men. In case you're not paying attention, that's twice as many men as Gideon had, right? So, you see this interchange that's going on here in chapter 8 and, and flowing down through uh, 14. Now, you get over into chapter 14. Jonathan and, and, and his armor bearer, you know, in other words, that the Philistines are getting a bigger, bigger camp. They start creating all these little different garrisons and they're going out and making sure the Israelites really can't do very much. And, and, and Jonathan's sitting in the camp, and after a while he just says, you know what, let's just go see if God will give us victory over even just one of these little outposts. So they, they go out, and God has, a, has his hand in it, and they have victory. And it says in an area of about a half an acre, not a whole, an area not a whole lot bigger than our sanctuary, really, right? Just they, they, He and his armor bearer, they kill 20 Philistines. And the Israelites who are looking across the ravine, they can see what's happening, and they're, they're talking, what is going on over there? And they see this commotion, and, and, and some of the, the Israelites who had, transferred over to the to the to the philistines they start they start taking up arms against the philistine and before you know it the route is on two guys create an avalanche of victory for god's people but we pick up the story in verse 14 now the victory is on right things are going in chapter 14 verse 14 it says in that first assault jonathan and his armor bearer struck down about 20 men in a half-acre field. And terror, terror spread through the Philistine camp and open fields to all the troops. And even the garrison and the raiding parties were terrified, and the earth shook, and the terror spread with God. So the victory is on, right? Now drop down to chapter 20, verse 24. Now the battle extended beyond Beth-Avon, and the men of Israel were worn out that day, for Saul had placed the troops under an oath. The man who eats food before the evening, before I have taken vengeance on my enemies, that man is cursed. So none of the troops tasted any food. Everyone went into the forest, and there was honey on the ground. A lot of beehives down on the ground. One of the problems, we were out here one time, and we were cutting down the woods. I wasn't doing it. I think Paul Rulo was doing it. Cutting down the, all the, the trees out here along this field, and and the bees are just coming up out of the ground, you know, because they get their nest there. So these guys, they go into the woods, there's, there's beehives, and, and, and the honey is just oozing out of the ground. When the troops entered the forest, they saw the flow of honey, but none of them ate of it because they feared the oath that Jonathan had pushed, uh, Saul had put on them. However, Jonathan had not heard his father make the troops swear the oath, and he reached out with the end of his staff he was carrying, and he dipped it into the honey, and when he ate it, it says he had renewed energy. I love the way some of the translations put it. When he ate the honey, it says his eyes brightened. You know, the, the, the sugar rush. That's why should we all eat chocolate. You know, the sugar rush that comes, you know. Then one 
of the troops said to him, your father made the troops solemnly swear that the man who eats food today is cursed. And the troops are exhausted. So he's looking at Jonathan. Jonathan's eating some of the honey. And he says, you know, first of all, your father says he's not supposed to do that. And I, I got to tell you, I'm starving. I'd love to have some of this stuff. I'm, I'm weak, you know. And I, I need some. Ner- and Jonathan says, my father has brought trouble to the land. Just look at how I have renewed energy because I tasted a little honey. How much better if the troops had eaten freely today from the plunder that they took from their enemies. Then the slaughter of the Philistines would have been much greater. So they, the battle goes on. Night comes. Saul starts to ask the question, well, should we continue the pursuit of the Philistines or should we back off and let them go? Is, you know, what's, what's the best thing to do? And they start looking for the Lord's counsel. So he calls for the priest. He brings in the, co- the, 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 the ark, and, and they start asking the question, so, you know, what, should, we, should we continue the attack tonight? And, and there's no answer. And so they kind of figure out that something's wrong, and so they're trying to discern what it is that is blocking God, bringing an answer to them. And we pick up the story with verse 36. Saul says, let's go down after the Philistines tonight and plunder them until morning. Don't even let one remain and do whatever you want, the troop says. But, but the priest says, you know, we need to consult God. So, God. so Saul inquired of God, and should I go after the Philistines? Will you hand them over to Israel? But, but God didn't answer him that day. So Saul said, well, all you leaders of the troops, come here. Let us investigate how the sin has occurred today. So the sin is blocking God's revelation of whether they should move on or not. As surely as the Lord lives, who saves Israel, even if it is because of my son Jonathan, he must die. And not one of the troops answered him. So he said to all Israel, you go on that side, and I and Jonathan will be on this side. And they, they cast the lots. That's what they used to figure out God's will. God used that. And the troops replied, do whatever you want. So Saul said to the Lord, God of Israel, give us the right decision. And Jonathan and Saul were selected. So they they're divided up. They cast the lots. Lots, you know, it's pointing this way. So it's just Jonathan and Saul at this point. So they, they roll the dice again, and it determined that Jonathan is the one who is at fault. So in verse 33, Saul says, well, tell me what you did. What did you do, you know? And Jonathan said, I tasted a little honey with the end of the staff I was carrying. He says, and I'm ready to die. You've said I must die. I'm ready to die. And Saul declared to him, may God punish me and do so severely if you do not die, Jonathan. But the people said to Saul, must Jonathan die because you're an idiot? Must, uh, I'm sorry, that's Neil's revised standard version, all right? Because you're an idiot, must Jonathan die? Who accomplished such a great deliverance for Israel? No, as the Lord lives, not a hair of his head will fall to the ground, for he worked with God's help today. So the people redeemed Jonathan, and he didn't die. And Saul gave up the pursuit of the Philistines, and the Philistines returned to their own territory. One last episode, beginning of chapter 15. This is, again, where God decides he's ready to bring judgment on the Amalekites for the way that they resisted the the activity of God as the people were coming into the promised land. And so Samuel told Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you as the king over his people Israel. In other words, you're only the king because God put you there. Now listen to the words of the Lord. This is what the Lord of hosts says. I've witnessed what the Amalekites did to the Israelites when they opposed them along the way as they were coming out of Egypt. Now go and attack the Amalekites and completely destroy everything they have. 
Do not spare them. Kill men and women, children and infants, oxen and sheep, camels and donkeys. In other words, God is ready to bring his complete judgment on the Amalekites. might be hard for us to embrace all of that, but in God's righteousness, he is exercising his judgment on the sinfulness of the Amalekites. Then Saul summoned the troops, and he counted them at Talium. There were 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men from Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and set up an ambush in the water, and he warned the Kenites. In other words, the Kenites were living among the Amalekites, and he says, since you showed kindness to all the Israelites when they came up out of Egypt, go and leave. We're giving you a chance to get out of here before we bring down the judgment on them. Get away from the Amalekites or you'll be swept away with them. So the Kenites withdrew from the Amalekites. Then Saul struck down the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is next to Egypt. And he captured Agag, king of Amalek, but he completely destroyed all the rest of the people with a sword. And Saul and the troops spared Agag and the best of the sheep, cattle, and choice animals, as well as the young rams and the best of everything else. They were not willing to destroy them, but they did destroy all the worthless and the unwanted things. So at this point, God and Samuel have a little interchange about their disappointment with, with Samuel, and we pick up the story in verse 20. So Samuel arrives, he, he sees them coming back, and, 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 he, and he says to them to Saul in verse 20, why didn't you obey the Lord? Why, why did you, you were supposed to destroy all of the plunder, why have you done this evil in God's sight? And Samuel, Saul replies this way, but I did, I did obey the Lord. Saul answered, I went on the mission. The Lord gave me, I brought back Agag, king of Amalek. He's God's trophy, you know. I completely destroyed the Malachites. The troops took sheep and cattle from the plunder. The best of what was set apart for destruction. They brought it back so we can sacrifice it to God at Gilgal. And this, Samuel says, did the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices? as much as in obeying the Lord? Look, he said, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to pay attention is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination. And defiance is like wickedness and adultery. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. God was ready to bless you and make you and your, and your offspring kings for generations but you've, you've impeded the blessing of God, and now God has rejected you. And Saul answered in Samuel, verse 24, I have I've sinned. I've transgressed the Lord's command in your words because, because I was afraid of the people, and I obeyed them. Now, now, therefore, please forgive my sin and return with me so I can worship the Lord. And eventually Samuel concedes to go and to worship with him, but then he moves off the scene, and he never meets Saul again. And Saul, it, we, the Scripture tells us that Saul mourned the loss of Samuel. Now, we, we've covered a lot of territory. If you haven't read this stuff, you should really go back and read it. It's great stuff. But, uh, you know, and, and I must tell you, in the things I'm going to share with you just over these next few minutes, I'm not going to tell you anything I don't think you already know. It's all stuff that you've heard before, but, but sometimes there's power in the reminder, okay? And when we look at the life of Saul and how he managed to mess up the blessing of God, God had taken this low life, who was just wandering around the tribe of Benjamin, and he elevated him to make him king over the promised people, the people of God. And God was prepared to establish his throne forever, and Saul managed to mess it up. And here's how he did it. And here's 
And it tells us the things that we need to avoid not to screw up the blessing of God in our own lives. And here's the first thing. You and I can mess up. We can impede the blessing of God in our lives when we rationalize disobedience. If you look at chapter 13, I mean, you can really feel for Saul, right? Here he is. He's, he's, he's sitting at Gilgal, waiting for Samuel to show up. He's doing what he's told. He's looking out across the field, and the Philistines are like, I mean, they're like the sands of the seashore. There's just thousands and thousands and thousands of them, you know? And, and they got no control. They don't know when these guys are going to attack, right? And so Saul's looking at his, his own group. Samuel doesn't come. So there's no offering. So we don't even know if God likes us at the moment, if there's any favor or not. And, and the troops, every single morning, wakes up, and there's more and more of them gone. You know, they had blown the trumpet after they attacked the Philistine garrison. Lots of Israelites showed up. They were ready for the battle, and they started looking at how many Philistines there are, and they're, like, just taking off. You know, this is not a, this is not a uh, drafted army. This is a volunteer army. And they're saying, I volunteered for this thing, and I'm unvolunteering. And they're out. You know, and, and it's, the whole thing is coming apart. And, and, and Samuel, Saul's sitting there, and he feels like all of this pressure is on him. him. He's got to do something. And you know what? He rationalizes his disobedience. Look what he says to Samuel in verse 10. Verse 11. He says, When I saw the troops were deserting me and that you hadn't come with the appointed days and the Philistines were just gathering Misha, you know, I thought the Philistines will attack and, and descend on me and guilt, and I haven't even sought the Lord's favor, so I forced myself. He's saying back to, 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 to Samuel, he says, I didn't have any choice but to disobey God. Ever rationalized your disobedience? I mean, we can come up with all kinds of reasons as to why it makes absolutely no sense it's impossible to actually obey God. In fact, Saul was so convinced of the fact that he was unable to obey God that he actually thought his disobedience was the way to find the favor of God. Oh, there goes my tie again. Sorry. Went off three times in the first service, so you've gotten off light so far. <laughs> i got to stop wearing this tie on Sunday mornings. Gonna, anyways. You want to listen to what he says? Can you hear that? There you go. All right. That will sound really good on the Internet recording when it's out there. On the, anyways. Saul's, at, I mean, God had clearly told Samuel, Saul through Samuel, Go to Gilgal, Samuel will come, Samuel will offer the burnt offering, and then you'll know what to do. And he actually believes that his disobedience is the means by which to actually find the favor of God. I'm just going to offer the burnt offering myself so I can court God's favor. Yeah, we, we can get ourselves in a position where we, can, we rationalize our disobedience. I don't got any options. Whether it's related to our giving, whether it's related to serving or forgiveness or witness or whatever you can you can apply it across the board there's all kinds of ways and you and i we forfeit we impede the blessing of god in our lives when we rationalize our disobedience i think that happens way too often in my life and perhaps some of that offers happens in your life i think there's a second way that saul impeded god's activity 
You know, when... Make sure I get, get this right here. When you look at chapter 15, you know, God said, you know what? I'm ready to use you and the nation of Israel as an instrument of my judgment on the Amalekites. They've earned it. In my holiness and my righteousness, I'm going to bring judgment on them. So I want you to go and attack them, and I don't want anything left. Not a single thing. What do they do? They have great victory, but they bring back the king because he makes a great trophy. You know, great to hang the living king on the wall, right? It's a great trophy. Show, shows our victory. They bring all the best of the stuff. And what does Saul say to Samuel in verse 24 of chapter 15? He says, I transgressed the Lord's command in your words because I was afraid of the people. And I obeyed them. You know, when you and I value the approval of people over the approval of God, we have a tendency to forfeit, to impede the blessing of God in our lives. Scripture calls that, you know, we call that today peer pressure. But we go through this all the time. You know, are we really going to be different? Are we going to stand with what's right in the eyes of God? Or are we somehow or other going to look to try to fit in and be like everybody else who's in our classroom or works down the hall from us, the person who looks next door? You know, the, the, the king, you know, he, he wanted to be loved by the people. He, was, he said he was afraid of the people. They were going to turn on me. They weren't going to keep following me if I made them do something they didn't want to do. He was afraid of the people. He, he wanted their approval more than he wanted God's approval. And when you and I get to a place where we fear people more than we fear God, when we want their approval more than we want God's approval, we're, we're, we're impeding the blessing of God in our lives. We just are. There's one last one here, and it comes out of chapter 14. You know, it's interesting that, you know, we didn't read the beginning of chapter 14, but clearly God had created an avalanche of victory. Two guys up against a massive army, and they create the momentum that just changes everything. It's, it's like the Israelites are down 163 to nothing in the middle of the fourth quarter, you know. And one little play turns it around, and the next thing you know, they win. I mean, it's, it's, it's a huge turnaround. But in the midst of this, you know, Saul starts to see the route taking place, and the, Philist, the, the Israelites who were defected are changing sides, and the, Philist, the Israelites are coming out of their caves and thickets, and they're coming back across the Jordan, and the victory's going. And Saul's like, well, oh, i got to get all this. He says, you know what? Nobody eats anything until I have gotten all of my satisfaction against my enemies. What in the world does all have to do with any of this? Right? But somehow or another, when you and I interject our efforts into God's activity, we forfeit a lot of God's blessings in our lives. When we somehow or another want to take the work of God and somehow make it about us rather than about God, we force we, we, we forfeit a lot of the blessing of God in our lives. God had brought the victory. He had used Jonathan and his armor bearer. God was given a great victory over a, a, a huge, overwhelming foe, and somehow or another Saul wanted to step into it and take part of the credit. See, well, if I hadn't expected so much from my men, we would have never had that kind of a victory. And his pride just creeps in. I want victory over my enemies. Well, they're God's enemies. They're not his enemies. And when we interject our efforts into God's activity out of pride, we begin to forfeit a lot of the stuff. And, you know, 
sometimes this happens in our families. You know, we, we can be praying for God to bring a certain conviction or leadership to our spouse or to our child, to our brother or sister or parent or whatever. And, and when we see God start to just kind of get that activity going, somehow or another we just can't resist kind of adding to it with our own. Like if you had listened to me before, you know, you wouldn't be, like, you, know, you know how that we can kind of, we want to jump in there and get our two cents in. I think often this happens when, when we see God start to move in a ministry and we get focused in on not what, how God is using it, but how we're doing it that we begin to lose that blessing from God. So we can look at Saul, and we don't have to repeat his mistakes. You know, we, we, we don't have to rationalize our disobedience. We don't have to favor the approval of people more than the approval of God. We, we, we don't have to try to put ourselves front and center, but we can let God take the lead. But how is it that you and I could actually positively let God unleash his blessing in our lives and, and, and i think that i think that samuel's response to saul in chapter 15 in verses 22 through 23 is just really powerful to us and i'm not going to speak long on these but these are a great word to us does the lord he says take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much in obeying the lord look in other words, pay attention now. Don't get distracted. Put down your cell phone. Put away the paper. Turn off the TV. Turn on. Listen to me. To obey is better than sacrifice. And to pay attention is better than the fat of rams. You know, the reality is plain old simple obedience is better than great sacrifice to the Lord. The, the way that we... In, allow God to release his blessing in our lives is just plain, old, simple obedience. God's not looking for you to go out and make $10 million so you can donate the new wing at the hospital and put his name on it. That's what, God's not looking for you to make a great sacrifice. He's not necessarily looking for you to pick up and move to Ecuador and never see running water again inside the house. Or whatever. God's not asking necessarily to do those things. God's simply asking you to get up in the morning and trust him. Love your husband. Love your wife. Love your kids, be a good employee, a good employer, be kind to people, be a good neighbor. God's just simply asking for your obedience. He doesn't, he's not looking for great sacrifices. He's just simply looking for obedience. Because to God, obedience is better than sacrifice. God also isn't, the way I put it here in my notes and in your notes is that simple trust in God is better than any than dependence on, on anybody else's, including our own capabilities. God's just simply asking us to trust him. We may be sitting in the camp. The troops may be defecting. The enemy may be mounting and getting stronger. They may be unfolding their strategy to crush us. All this stuff could be going on. We don't know where the help is coming from. We don't, where's, where's Samuel? All of it. God just wants us to trust him. Not asking you to figure it all out, he's just asking you to trust him. You know, seek ye first the kingdom of God. All the rest of that stuff will work its way out. Just, just have faith like a child, and yours is the kingdom. You know, the 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 the, the marvelous thing, I'm gonna conclude with this is you know, we got all the stuff on the platform, right? And you know, we got got the nativity scene out and the Christmas trees and the flowers and more nativity scenes, all 
And, and, and we're, we are in the midst of a season where, where we celebrate and focus on the fact that God has unequivocally, undeniably, as loud as he could, communicated, I want to bless you. He's given us his son. Right? He sent his son into it. God is just yelling at the double, I want to bless you. I wonder how that's going to sound on the internet. Here we go. And how you and I can release that blessing in our lives is in each and every one of ours power. Because every one of us can trust and every one of us can obey. We, can have, we have within us at our disposal all that we need to unleash the blessing of God in our lives. If we'll just trust and obey. Let's pray together. waiting for the stirring to quiet down. God, as we come to you today, we thank you that, that we can have as much confidence today as Saul did on the day that he was crowned, that you intend to bless us. We see it in your son, Jesus Christ, who came to give us life and to give it abundantly. Father, we recognize, I confess to you that I personally impede your blessing in my life. I can come up with all kinds of excuses why I can't do the things that you've asked me to do. I can take the simple things you've asked me to do and make them so complicated I can't figure out how to make it happen. I can somehow or another want to get my fingerprints all over it so that I can get the credit instead of you just getting the credit. But God, thank you that you have designed each and every single one of us with the fullness, with the complete capability of being able to experience your blessing today. We don't have to do anything great. We just have to obey. We don't have to be wicked smart and lots know everything. We simply have to be able to trust you. So God, make us a people who unleash your blessing in our lives so that we might release it on our world. We pray in Jesus' name.